This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. I'm Becky Parker-Geist, and I'm your host. Audiobook Connection is your place to learn about the audiobook creative process in discussions between the authors, narrators, producers, and post-production teams that bring them all together, as well as guests who have listened to the audiobooks and have questions for the creative teams. This podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. I'm super excited to have back with me Joshua Townsend. And Joshua, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Always a delight. I just I just get all smiley just thinking about our conversation. Yeah, so thank you, Becky. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And we've talked about a few different things that we can discuss today. And I would love to start with the the one that's like feels very hot to me in terms of what's, you know, the news and that is AI. Uh, mm-hmm. Should mm-hmm. artificial intelligence be narrating our audiobooks? Yeah, that's going to be a good rabbit hole, I think, for us to jump into first. So sure, I would love to hear initial thoughts, initial what comes up for you. This isn't the first time we've been there. We've been through this before. And so what that looks like is with the advent of the movie industry, And everyone leaving the West Coast as actors to come to Los Angeles to be in the movies, right? So all the actors back then would be like, well, that's not real acting. Real acting is only (laughs) on the stage. Right. Yes. And so then everyone came out to embrace the new technology. And then some actors from the stage could do it. And some actors from the stage could not do it. They could not make the transition. And these were silent movies. I want to be clear. This is not the those newfangled speakies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so when the actors were able, some actors did and some actors didn't. And the reason why some actors didn't, and it blows my mind to think about this, and I don't know if most people think about this, but there were people mm-hmm. in the old school acting worlds of theater that would make whole careers. And when I say whole careers, I mean 30, 40, 50 years playing Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This lady would have the the market on Juliet, and she played Juliet from the age on Genou yeah. from the age of eighteen until the age of fifty. Yeah, yeah. I think probably most people aren't aware of that. Yes, and so that's a huge, like, you know, shift mm-hmm. in terms of consciousness. Yeah. And so it's the same thing that's happening today. Same thing. It's the same transition. Some people will make it and some people won't. Then all those actors went to Hollywood and they started working in film and then the talkies came out. And then again, the culling happened. A lot of actors couldn't make the transition because they didn't have a voice that was suitable for recording. Right. Mm -hmm. Or they played the thug and they they talk like this. Right. (laughs) So it it wouldn't, you know, it's like, no one's going to believe that. What are we going to do with that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. And that's why, you know, John Wayne, right? So 
it's the same thing that's happening again with this new technology. I just want people just to kind of like chill and relax because it's not going to go away. But what we need to do is be able to focus on, okay, what's really happening here and how can this help me? Mm. Interesting that because it it feels like it's a little different in that mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. not talking so much about actors shifting into a different role, or are we, or as much as being sort of this now voice being replaced by machine. Would you like fries with your order? (laughs) So, right. That's a script. Yeah. That's a line of dialogue. Would you like fries with your order? Yeah. And so there is no question that that kind of commerce, Mm -hmm. that kind of exchange, that kind of what I call data, you're looking at data transfer. Mm Mm-hmm. When you do that. So data transfer actors or acting or voiceover talent needs to be very concerned. Right, right. Because we will not need data transfer actors anymore. Right. In the same way, we will not need 50-year-old ladies to play Romeo and Juliet or Juliet and Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. We just won't need it because now we have 18-year-old actors who need to look 18 because now we're in film. Right, right. There will be no... Oh, I just phoned it in. Do you, do you remember that expression? They phoned it in? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Because the AI can do that better. Right. And cheaper and faster. Right. right. So that what that tells me is that anyone who's doing this kind of work really needs to reevaluate who am I? What do I want? What are my skills and talents? Mm-hmm. And do I want to dig into this deeper? There are two things that as of right now, as of this conversation, AI is not able to do. And it's uniquely human as of today, the subordinate image and irony or juxtaposition. Great. Let's define those a little bit more for people. Sure. So the subordinate image is, is probably one of the most influential techniques or ways of work that an actor or someone who presents or performs material has at their fingertips. Because everybody has the same material for auditioning, you know, to get one person right. a role for 50 people. Right, yeah. Everyone has the same words. Mm-hmm. Now, what subordinate image, what subordinate meaning under, image meaning the, the image that I have that I'm communicating from my, to get fancy, my third eye to your third mm-hmm. eye, that I'm giving you an imprint that is indelible, that's part of a larger consciousness. When I work at that level, the work I do, whether you hire me or not, is indelible. Right. Yeah. So when I say he drove the sports car fast, you know, I need to be able to communicate to you that this was a red sports car without saying the word red. Yeah. That's an example, a very simple example of a subordinate image. And here's where we're we're really driving back in many ways to that our first conversation where we were getting into the the completeness of thought or the um completeness may not be the right word but the that we are not while we are communicating with words there is so much more that is happening in that context and i see now where you're going with the where we've been before that we're we're moving from a one place. Okay, now AI is yes, fine. They can take over our GPS. They've already done that. It's fine. We're happy with mm-hmm. that. Yes, that we can. They can take our orders. Mm-hmm. Can they? 
can it, but only the, you know, people who are willing to get into that, truly coming to that place, the the actor place, that in-depth story, full being place, and developing those skills are going to be the ones that are still doing the the live narration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we don't need actors anymore for data transfer. Yeah. And in some ways, thank God. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Because it's like, okay, so I, I got that. And then uh, another example, because I was listening to some AI narration, and I find it fascinating. <laughs> because some of, especially when they get good, if they get good, then it's even more interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, ooh, oh, there's the tell. Oh, there it is. It's that thing of like l- reading left to right. If you're still reading left to right, as a voiceover talent, as an actor, you're going to be unemployable in about two minutes ago mm-hmm. because the AI can do that. Anyone can do that, reading left to right. This whole thing of going to school and getting and memorizing the words. Who cares about memorizing the right. words? So the other thing is juxtaposition or irony or intonation. It's sort of like if someone says a girl's out on a date and the line of dialogue is, I would never do that. The data is, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I would never do that. And then if she's like somehow like romantically interested in the guy and what she wants to infer that and she wants to tease him along, she might say, oh, I would never do that. Yes. Now, how is AI supposed to get that? Yeah. Uh, today? Yeah. Today? Yeah. yeah, I don't see how that can happen. Yeah. So there's a tremendous amount of subtlety of yeah interpretation. Interpretation. Yes. And making it your own, mm-hmm. not even like uh, from English lit or, you know, Shakespeare or classical music where, you know, musicians try to interpret the classics. It's like, this is about making it your own. Yeah. This is about doing your own deep dive and go, what's this really about? How does this touch me? Yeah. What? And it has to do with sense and sensibility and choices. Yeah. What was the other? I was thinking about fiction and nonfiction. Because this is uh-huh. sort of an interesting piece in relation to that. So in yeah. some ways, we could say that this data transfer, right, uh-huh. much of nonfiction is this communication of information. There is a piece that I would love to hear your thoughts on, and that is I can listen to two different people, let's say. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm not going to differentiate in this moment with AI. When I listen to two different people reading the same sentence— and uh-huh. one, maybe one phrases it in such a way that I can, I really get what the message is. Uh-huh. And another one reads the same words. Uh-huh. And whether it's the phrasing or just, you know, just the slight stress on one word versus another word, I might have to like stop and th- rethink the sentence or uh-huh. re-listen to it again to uh-huh. really get what the message is. Uh-huh. I think of nonfiction as story as well. Uh-huh. What are your thoughts around around that that piece? It's the same thing that you're saying. It has to do with the subordinate image. Yeah. Because the person who's communicated something to you in a way that you could get it, that you could grok it, that you could get the aha moment, however you want to say it, yeah. has done that himself or herself. And the person who's just reading the words, it won't it won't land. Right. Like I literally can't hear it. There's an old, old story that goes something like this. Uh, a young mother and her son travel for seven days walking through the, you know, the wilderness or whatever. They get to this master guru healer 
And the lady goes, my son's about to die. Tell, tell us what's wrong. And he goes, he's eating too much sugar. She goes, what should we do? He goes, come back in a week. She goes, but it took us five days to get here. He goes, come back in a week. They go like halfway home. They rest there and they walk back another halfway. They come back into his company and he looks at the little boy and he goes, stop eating sugar. And the mom goes, what, what the hell was that? You made us wait a whole week. We had to do all, uh, why couldn't you just tell him last week? He goes, last week I was eating sugar. Yeah. <laughs> There's something that also I want to uh, sort of look at from the side, like uh, in reading these articles, some of these articles about, you know, the great, this great uh, thing that's happening, AI is going to start doing audiobooks, rah, rah, rah. Here's why is because now we're going to create a million audiobooks in the next few years. And I, I read that and I think, to what end? What is, why is that? Why is that important? The reason I bring it up is because it feels like, just like AI, there is a soul component missing. There is the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we creating these stories in the first place? Why are we bringing them to life in audio? And there was also comment about like position and, and it's written clearly the, the one article I'm referring to is, is clearly written, directed to authors, not directed to listeners, but directed to authors, you know, about positioning authors to win readers in the marketplace. And I'm thinking from my perspective, it is not about winning readers. It is about connecting what you know, the material that has been lovingly, carefully, you know, generated, created, this creation, and connecting it with the people that are going to benefit from that, who are looking for that material, you know, whether it's entertainment or or information or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the way I perceive marketing, you know, is that it's about people finding each other. You know, the, the material has been written, you know, having finding its audience. But there's something about the drive to that it's all going to be better because it will be cheaper and therefore then we, we can do more of it. it. It just, again, sort of feels like all the soul mm -hmm. has just been drained out of that and we are being left with kind of empty words. Mm -hmm. I mean, even that phrase, you know, empty words, we, we, we most often associate that with... Um, when somebody says something and they don't mean it, mm -hmm. right? How do we mm -hmm. react to that? Usually mm -hmm. pretty badly. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I feel like there is this whole soul piece. Soul feels like the best word that I can use, you know, come up with to encapsulate in words this deeper experience. That taking that out of our stories that we are, because I also come from that place of we are story. We are living story. We live as story. We think of our lives in story, right? In narrative, it's all. And then to lose the soul of that just sounds so tragic. And I love what you said early on, that it's not, that you don't see it as that we're going to be losing that, but that we are, have, we are undergoing this shift into separating out, I guess, you know, some will rise to the occasion, you know, to the, the work that uh -huh. is uh -huh. being done. 
and yes. others not. The great, the great culling, yeah? The white zone is for the immediate That's loading right. of passengers only. No parking, <laughs> right? It's like, gosh, who, who got that job? God, great gig. It makes it sound so fresh and alive. I want that. Yeah. The white zone. And, you know, you, you just said something so eloquent. You said something like, you know, empty words and people say things that they don't mean. And how does that feel to me when I hear that? And yet at the same time, you know, there's going to be a generation coming up in about five to 10 yeah. years that yeah. will hear a lot of that. And how, and how will that hardwire them in a different way? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to get attention from AI? Yeah. What does it mean to have a conversation with AI? Are we that predictable? Part of what's happening with AI, especially in the, in the writing world as well, is that they can only reference, mm-hmm. AI can only reference that which is written already. Sure, you know, 1,600 years of writing or whatever, or whatever they're pulling from. But it mm-hmm. starts with that consciousness of, of the original writer. So if we want to put something new into the system, it'll take years because it's still going to be pulling from old school stuff. Yeah, old right. school meaning, you know, <laughs> stuff that happened six uh, months ago. Way back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Way back six months ago. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about this in terms of children's books especially and then i just just now as you're mm-hmm, talking about mm-hmm. that communication with ai was rent i don't know if you've seen the umbrella academy <laughs> but there's a, a robot mother that is um in that story but i oh, okay the idea of an ai voice reading a children's story is very unnerving to me because of that very mm-hmm. you know the missing soul piece and and how critical I think it is. You know, I think of, you know, if we just touch on children's books for a moment, there's so many benefits of kids listening to audiobooks. Everything from, you know, the fact that some parents don't feel uh-huh. comfortable reading out loud to their kids. And yet, you know, it's so valuable for them to be hearing story read to them. Um, everything from reading fluency uh-huh. to, you know, just kind uh-huh. of learning about the world. But yeah, if that were to be turned over to a voice that didn't, that wasn't carrying all that internal message, you know, the images, the feelings, that that would be terribly sad. Yeah, I agree. No. I, mean, I don't you think listen, anybody would want that for anyone. Yeah, go ahead. You can mask it by saying, oh, no, we'll be able to customize <laughs> with the child's name in it. You don't understand. Jack will be, you know, yeah, I don't know, Bobby or whatever, you know, because Bobby is his name, right? But it's like, right. no, it's, yeah. it's, not, just, it's yeah. not just about pronouns here. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I feel the heaviness right now, and it's so interesting. Of, because we have, as artists, I'm just going to say we're all artists here. As artists, we have to work with what's in front of us. We don't have an option. And so if this is what's in front of us, that means that we need to work with it in such a way that's going to be of benefit to us. I work yeah. on my computer. My computer does not work on me. And I think it's fantastic that we're getting away from this idea that the best writer is the one who knows how to spell words and, and punctuation. Another thing that computers are actually really good at, that's a... Let's let them worry about the spell check and Abs- the punctuation. Absolutely. Yeah. And 
Yeah, absolutely. And so we start to put our area, our attention, our, our consciousness, our awareness on the very thing that's really going to be of benefit. No matter how good yeah. AI gets, someone has yeah. to come up with the prompt. Someone has to come up with the idea. It, come back to my comment about the editing thing is that editors are still going to be really Perfect. important, human editors, because it's not all about spelling and punctuation in terms of getting to a, a manuscript that is telling the story in the very best way that it can be told. Right. I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just gonna it's just gonna get better and richer, and we're actually gonna be actually more able to spend more time really yeah. um, massaging those areas that are uniquely human. the The area of concern that I, I hear from you and that I hear from others is yeah. this thing of creating basically two classes, and that's gonna be. Yeah. I do feel like not there something is something fun to witness. I mean, in, in a sense, yes, it's. I get that it's trying to solve this problem at, perceived as a problem. What is perceived as a problem is that audio, audiobook narration production is expensive. I get that. And so right now we have those that can afford to do it, to go forward in that world, and those that can't. I, I, I disagree that, that it's expensive. Jump right in. Okay. I'm, um, keep going. Yeah. We'll have, a, we'll have a conversation around that. The, the The amount of people that you're reaching with audiobook is 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 insane, is insane. And there are people that you can listen to today that A, are no longer alive, and B, that there's no way you would have that conversation with them 20 years ago because you would never be in proximity to hear them, not only their words, yeah. but actually to hear them speak and improvisationally perhaps, or about the creating of that book. So from that term, from that perspective, uh, audio production is is insanely inexpensive. The the, the potential of, of the reach and and the Longevity, and the yeah. what's the word mm -hmm. the how long Definitely. the shelf life is Definitely. is like yeah, it's amazing. And you know they say in the beginning, I read the same article you were referencing to earlier, and they say, oh well, the author is going to get seventy five percent and production is going to get twenty five or whatever the split was, and I was like, yeah. Um, does anyone remember how in the beginning of most technology, it's really inexpensive and then it gets more and more expensive yeah. because where else are you going to go? Yeah. You have nowhere else to go. And then all of a sudden it becomes more. Or have you ever noticed mm -hmm. like when you, when the airline started charging baggage fees just for yeah. a little while to take care of fuel costs, they never went away? It's the same thing. It's like as soon as they get the, the toe in the market, they're going to be like, well, you know, it's a little, you know, operating costs yeah. are higher than yeah. we thought. So we're going to have to do a 65, 35 yeah. split. Well, you know, things have come up yeah. and now it's 50, 50. Yeah. You know yeah. how expensive these machines are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I've been, have found disturbing about the articles I've been reading about this is how now that we're uh, like audiobook production or audiobooks, the double-digit growth for over a decade now is has gotten so much, so many people's attention who can see profit in that. That you know, lots of people are jumping in to get a piece of the pie, right? To find find their place. And I'm not mm -hmm. opposed to people doing what they're passionate about. To you know, I'm I'm all for that, hundred percent. It feels like there is more focus on the profit consumerism approach to 
what's uh you know to what i'm reading and these you know these the people who are like coming up with these solutions that are not really solutions as they are a different way for them to earn a profit and that concerns me you know i feel like mm-hmm. hey yeah. remember there's something much big it's you know before we know it, uh, we can get a machine to paint that rembrandt we put we figured out how to put paintbrushes in little hands and to have it follow a paint by number and it's going to be just as good. Really? Do we really believe that's going to be just as good? Huh? So I feel like we're sort of in that similar realm to what that uh-huh. might look like. Yeah, it, and, and it won't be and it, and it can't be. And it has to do with the larger things. Like, for instance, does Chipotle really make the best <laughs> Mexican food? And, not in my world. And I, I feel like most people would agree that no one is expecting Chipotle to make the best Mexican right. food you've ever had, period, yeah. bar none. And yet and yet they make a lot of money. Well, Does McDonald's really serve the best possible hamburger? No, and, and, and not even close. And they everyone knows it. They're not expecting it. But mm-hmm. what they get, you what you yeah, g- yeah. expect you get for that $1.99 or $5.99 or whatever. And so... You know, I feel like we really need to make a distinction between, you know, availability, proximity, cost, fees, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. as right. to what you actually get for that experience. And it's a different experience. And some people will value that, ex- uh, you know, this more mm-hmm. auteur, mm-hmm. customized experience, yeah. and some people don't. And I was thinking about, because I thought about this conversation, and it's like, there are certain kinds of books, like books about yeah. How to fix your computer. Maybe that's really great <laughs> right. for AI. Someone writes that script or AI writes How the to script. Fix me. And then AI, you know, records it. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. How to fix me. There you go. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that's perfect. And maybe that's all the person right. needs. Step mm-hmm. one, take yeah. the tool out of the bag. It'll be Step interesting. two. See what happens. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook. Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70%, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out or at least shrink the middleman. Yet, you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. Pro Audio Voices hears you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% royalties of the price you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them, and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com in the marketing menu. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this okay. adjusting material that you know that's written as literature, so to performance script, so lit to yeah. script for performance. Okay, good, good, good call. So I uh, was hanging out with my eleven and a half year old nephew, and I was telling him about like because he's interested in um, circus skills and whatnot, and I said, "There's a guy named Buster Keaton. Never heard of him." So I said, great. And I said, he's done some of the most amazing things. Yeah. He's, a, he's an unsung hero in the silent film era. Charlie Chaplin was better known, Laurel and Hardy, et cetera. So because of that, we were watching 
that. And then Charlie Chaplin came on. I said, oh, did you ever see The Gold Rush? And so he didn't even know, he didn't know it was Charlie Chaplin. So we watched a little bit of The Gold Rush. Charlie Chaplin, who I respect as an amazing actor, writer, producer, cinematographer, composer, brilliant, yeah. beyond, Academy Award winning, mm -hmm. genius. He had done The Gold Rush as a silent movie. And later he did another release of it where he spoke some of the lines yeah. of dialogue as, as if they had dialogue. He superimposed his, you know, laid a, a vocal track on it with literary reference, meaning, <laughs> and he said, and the old man said, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh <laughs> my God, I love Charlie Chapman, but he made a fatal mistake. Yeah. Because that was the reference that he had in yeah. 1940 or 30 or whenever he recorded that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he played all the parts, by the way. Yeah. His voice was all the parts. As, as well as the narrator. I don't know that I ever saw the uh, the remake with the with the. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's on YouTube. It's just it was just an interesting. We just sort of you know tripped over it. But the reason why I mention that is because someone who is as an amazing, full, complete, astounding artist like Charlie Chaplin made the faux pas of including right. said the old man. Right, and it's redundant. We're seeing it that it comes out of the old man's mouth. We're seeing it that it comes out of the grizzly, the grizzly man, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so it's the same thing as what you're asking me. It's the same thing. So when you go from something that's read to something that is performed, either auditorily or on a screen, there are certain things that need to be in place in the literary form right. that are no longer of service in the performance. And those, I mean, I'm talking about basic now, that has to be weeded out. And if you keep doing that, you're, you're, what you're doing is you're taking your audience out of that narrative in that yeah. form. Yeah. One of the things that, that we... So that's, that's at the most basic we level. We typically do when we're doing a full cast production, because then we have distinct voices playing their many roles. But it can be tricky even then, because we are relying on different cues for the listener to remember the voice is connected with which personality. But there are some very simple mm -hmm. uh, ways to make that clear who's speaking without using the who said, you know, the attribution. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be, you know, Kitty shifted mm -hmm. in her seat and then we hear her say the thing. Or Paul looked livid. Absolutely. Yep. And then we hear that. Yeah. Billy inhales slowly. Yeah. G giving yes. them a... You know, and in my world, I call that the physical action. So you give them right. a physical action, right. which then that, puts that our, is, our attention back to yeah, them. Yeah, it really makes a huge okay. difference than than having to go with the so and so said. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and you're also adding in a layer. You're also adding a layer of contemplation or fear, or doubt, or hopes and dreams, or fears and secrets. You're adding in another because well, because now we're talking about in the world of auditory, but you're yeah. you're adding in another layer of their yeah. psychology. And what's going on in their inner life. So that's great. Are there other things that you sort of would highlight in the sort of lit to script question, sort of in that realm, if somebody comes to you with a script? Yeah, so it depends upon the medium. So if we're dealing in a very specific right. medium like auditory only, then for, like one thing I'm thinking of right now, just as a for instance, if someone is is, is doing a scene in a cafe... I would I would add in the auto, an auditory track of like murmurs yeah. in the background, yeah. plates being shuffled, et cetera, et cetera. That that atmospheric sound effect 
is so helpful. It sort of keeps us in the place where we sort of anchoring the place subtly, Mm -hmm. you know, without having to make lots of commentary about it. Yeah. Yeah, actually no commentary, just as as it is, and let it speak for itself. And then you can actually pull focus on that as you will. So, you know, maybe it helps when the big reveal right. happens in the scene yes. that everything goes quiet. Silence is so powerful. I know. I know. Yeah. It's like we Underrated. wouldn't listen to music without rests. <laughs> we need them. They are That's right. They yeah. They, they are part of context. They are part of the expression. So let's go a little deeper there into sort of allowing breathing room for these. Yeah. So there, there's two ways to, well, there's two ways to do most things in life, but there's technical and then there's intuitive. But so, you know, even in the music world, they call it scoring. You score, you score. And it's not as fashionable right now, but, you know, people score a script, especially especially directors and producers. They'll go in and score it meaning they'll put in the rests. Well, hopefully you have right. sensitive and aware talent and they can feel it as well. But yeah, you want to, you either do it technically or it happens organically, but there is the the building up, the building yeah. up, and then and then the, the, the disassembling or the, the fall. And then, you know, that's where the editor comes through and then they can, the audio editor comes through and you can really point it up. I mean, you can put yeah. off like, you could put a siren in the background, a wailing siren or someone, you know, there's so, there are birds chirping. There's so yeah. many things, but it's, that's based on place. But it's so important to have your palette available. Oh, we're talking about breathing space in the, uh, you know, the to, to create those moments, <laughs> that the rests, in, in the rests in the score. I mean, I think about, you know, just on the most basic, basic level that every manuscript that paragraph breaks uh-huh. are a helpful indication. This is they're sort of the the rests that the author has has put in place without maybe even knowing that they have. But they are a way where we're gonna just take a moment and you know, might be a second, you know, and then we're going to just slightly shift. So each one mm-hmm. is a a build on the next. And that n- now not every time. Certainly there are in our, in our, let's say in dialogue where we go, you know, from one to another, that's a conversation where we may or may not, depending on what's going on internally, have moments between, they might be right on top of each other. They might be literally on top of each other, that there's, that there are indicators in the, in the manuscript typically as a starting place with paragraphs. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's indicators in life as well. There's indicators in life. Great. Okay. Let me put it into a script format. In a script format, an inexperienced uh, writer will say something like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, thank you for the meeting. We had a wonderful time, right? Or a script writer will say at the end of a date, like, well, that was really nice to meet Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Thank you for our first date. I I have to go now. Yeah. Okay. So someone more sophisticated will go, they'll finish up the meal or whatever, and they'll pick up their keys and they'll go, so (laughs) what else you got planned for today? Yeah. Very different, but accomplishes the same thing. Yes. And I'm working with a completely different subordinate image. The first, just using the words, is it's interesting that by 
by providing the words that are saying the thing that is the subordinate image. In other words, trying to do it all in text, right? Not that there isn't still a subordinate image, because there still needs to be, but that the text is trained to accomplish all of that. And, yeah. and I find that this is a really interesting thing in terms of the writing process itself, right? Is like, what are we, how are we saying the things? Is, is each person actually saying all those words that indicate that we are about to say goodbye to each other? Yeah, not usually. More interesting that they pick up their keys and mm-hmm. then ask that question because mm-hmm. we get it. We mm-hmm. get it in a whole different way. Yeah. Because the inner life is happening. See, it goes back to the thing of I can read the words left to right and be a technician, or I can actually have the inner life of the character, and those actions and those words and those behaviors start to come out spontaneously. I don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Or you can do it on a technical level and score it and go, okay, on this moment, I need you to da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, both are okay. It's just how much more fun to get to it. Or she looked at her watch and asked. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, there's so many ways, so many ways to. This is my reveal, I guess, sharing maybe a little too much. Mm-hmm. But I, I actually, I actually do that in real life now is I, I watch myself and I also watch the other person for their maybe conscious or maybe unconscious yeah. indicators that our conversation is over. Okay. You ready for this? Okay. I, I'm going to give, I'm going to give uh, an Great. assignment for anyone listening because I love doing this. It's so much fun. And that is this. Okay, let me ask you, Becky, when a conversation yeah. ends or, you know, when you're end of a meeting or end of a conversation in a, in a non-personal okay. <laughs> environment, in a non-personal relationship, I just want to be clear, okay. do you end the meeting or does the, or does the other person end the, the meeting or the conversation? It's definitely a mix in my life. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's me. Sometimes okay. it's the other person. I and which do you I prefer? I think so. Yeah. You prefer it when you end it? I think so. I have to really think about that. <laughs> I don't think I've I don't think I've taken the time to really think about that. In it I guess in some ways, like when the other person ends it, I yeah, I don't think I have a I'm not sure if that I'm answering answering accurately. I I feel like I have to really think about there. There are times when it just feels so clear that we're both like wrapping it up. And then often I will sort of put the the capper on it that just like allows it to end. Yes. Okay. So that's that's how you end most non-personal meetings or conversations. Would you say that? I can't say. I'm going to have to like spend some time observing myself more. Yeah. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting conversation. So some people are very comfortable letting the other person end the conversation. Like they feel more comfortable when someone else like says, well, I I love that one at at meetings when someone behind a desk goes, well, and they kind of like (laughs) go like that. And I, I, on the inside, I smile so big. It's like, (laughs) okay. So, um, so there's that. And then, um, and then, so there's people who like to uh, have the other person end it, and then there's other people uh-huh. who who like to end it. So we have people who like to let the other person mm-hmm. end it. And so my advocation is for once you identify which one you prefer, which yeah. one is more natural to you. I haven't met the person uh-huh. who didn't have a natural leaning uh-huh. towards one or the other mm-hmm. to do the opposite. And in that is a huge growth yeah. opportunity. 
When you say that, it makes me think, like, I think I could have several years ago, I could have easily answered that question, that my tendency would be to have the other person end it, and that I've much more leaned into being able to end it myself, or being, you know, sort of, that when I feel like we're done, I'm really comfortable with asking the question, okay, is there anything else? Have we got it covered? We good? You know, kind of like checking in, maybe. Or, you know, depending on the conversation, obviously, there's so much, uh, so many variables. But interesting, interesting. I'm going to have to observe myself more now. Oh, it's such an interesting road to go down because to do the opposite will bring up certain things that are really important. And then when you go back to your, you know, the way that is more natural to you. And by the way, my personal feeling for our conversations is they're always like this amazing amount of flow, amazing amount of flow. Even, even towards the end of the conversation. But I've given this assignment to a lot of people that I work with and they come back to me and they tell me, they go, oh my God, it was so uncomfortable for me letting the other person end the conversation. I couldn't wait. I was jumping out of my skin. They took forever. Because what happens is, is mostly when people have long conversations, you have the pair of the opposites. So now you're making the person who's not comfortable ending conversations having to end the conversation. <laughs> Which is going to take a really long time because they're not used to it or comfortable with it. Yeah. yeah Isn't that's that fun? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a great <laughs> life. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, we are going to have to wrap up, but um, oh. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, it was so easy for you. Oh my God, Becky, you changed. Oh <laughs> well, it's time for us to go now. <laughs> I actually uh, have to jump into you a recording You didn't even ask session. me if there's any more questions. You're uh, like, nope, that's it. It's over. Oh, sorry. Done. <laughs> However, I really want to have you back on. and I hope so. Continue these conversations. These, this has been so, so fun. So. Uh, the best. Oh my gosh. There are so many more places we're going to go. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. All right. Best time. Okay. All right. Blessings. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us for Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. Please take a moment to subscribe at audiobookconnection.com. The podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Learn more at ProAudioVoices.com. Again, thanks for being with us, and please join us next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.